I wanted to share a tool that I started using recently. And if you're doing any prospecting or lead sourcing from LinkedIn, it's definitely worth checking out. The tool is called Surf and it's spelled S-U-R-F-E. It's a Chrome extension that allows you to add contacts to your CRM directly from LinkedIn. I use it to add contacts quickly, follow my deals, keep track of my notes. And it's actually saved me a bunch of time. The data is always 100% accurate because I don't have to copy and paste each detail from each contact over to my CRM. Instead, Surf does it all for me automatically with just one click. Now, the folks over at Surf have been kind enough to put together a promo offer for fans of SSP. You can go to the link in the show notes and use the promo code JWSURF with an E5 for a 5% discount on your first year. Check out the link in the show notes and go check them out. This one is for the savvy startups and SMBs out there. I've got a secret weapon for you that's going to skyrocket your sales without the unnecessary headaches that come along with using one of the big player CRM systems. That secret weapon is Close CRM. Now let's face it, we've all been there. We've used a clunky, confusing system that kind of makes you want to throw your laptop out the window. Well, fear not, Close is here to save your time, money, and sanity. Close has all of the powerful sales tools you need, minus the drama, to manage your leads, track your deals, and crush your targets effortlessly. It has calling, emailing, SMS, multi-channel sequences, and it even has meeting tracking built right in. It's easy to set up and implement. You can stop screwing around with CRMs that aren't built for you and start selling and managing customers today. You can start a free trial using the link in the show notes, special for SSP fans. Okay, so the last six months have been full of change and transition and unprecedented events, frankly, in the SaaS space. And so I thought I'd put together an episode today that focuses on my predictions or trends that I think are going to be accelerating here in the next couple of months. And frankly, I think these are things that are going to be here to stay for a while. So I'll do my best to kind of compare how things have been over the last 10 years in SaaS sales to where I think the puck is heading. And hopefully this helps someone out there prepare a little bit better for the next phase of their career, transitioning into being a seller with a different mindset than what we've had over the last decade. Now, over the last 10 years of, of SaaS, and really before that, but let's just focus on the last 10 years, it's been this incredible growth curve. There's been uh, you know, free capital essentially in the marketplace that's allowed founders to go out and raise funds and scale and grow their teams. And that's created this environment where SaaS reps are getting paid awesome comp packages, huge OTE. There's been you know, more opportunity than anyone can fill. And for those who are good at the game, they can get in and get paid a lot of money to be a SaaS AE. Now, I think that that is going to change a little bit. I'm not saying it's going to go away, but here are a few of the trends that I think are going to happen. Um, so basically, these are my predictions for the next decade of SaaS sales. So let's take it from the top here. These are in no particular order, by the way. I just wrote down and, and put a bunch of thoughts on a Google Doc here, and I'm reading through each one, no particular order, but let's start from number one here. So my, my first prediction is that SaaS selling teams are going to get a lot smaller. What does that mean? So take a look at some of the headlines out there. You'll notice that there's been a lot of layoffs from mostly the big companies, but also, you know, mid-market uh, and below tech companies. So across really every size of SaaS company, there's been some form of layoffs that's happened. The larger the brand, the, you know, more the overhead, the, the larger scale those layoffs have been. And so what also has sort of been apparent to me watching the whole Twitter situation play out 
is a lot of people in the early days thought that if Twitter was going to lay off, I don't know what they've laid off, like 75% of their staff, they, everyone was predicting that Twitter was going to crash and disappear and go away because they had you know, a fraction of the staff members that they previously had. And what we're seeing is if you go to twitter.com, it's still operational. Everything's still working. And, you know, maybe there's some, some stuff, some shit that's broken behind the scenes, but we don't know about it. And to our knowledge as consumers and users of the app or the, the, the website, there's really not been any change despite a massive reduction in the workforce. So what does that mean for us as SaaS sellers? Well, it means that everyone is going to now copy the model and they're realizing that it's likely that they can get done more with less more things can get done, more growth, more apps can get shipped, more product features can get shipped with less people. And I think that includes SaaS sellers, right? I think people are going to realize, I say people meaning founders are going to realize that they can get by with a fraction of their current sales staff. Um, now this won't be for everybody, but I think that the vast majority of SaaS companies are going to realize they can get you know that 20% of reps that are always always achieving their goal to, to stay on and only focus on those, the, that 20% and really scale down the size of their teams. So this will impact the industry because it will be a little bit harder to get a great role in SaaS if the teams are smaller. As a rep, you're gonna be required to do a lot more with less resource. Now, the upside to this though is if you're one of four reps instead of one of 12 or, you know, one of 20 or something like that, there's going to be more attention on your success. There'll be more tools at your disposal. Most likely you'll have more leadership capacity, hopefully. And so I think there could be some upside to this. It's, it's, uh, you know, it will benefit some to have a smaller team, especially if you're really good and you're really efficient with your time and your resources. But for a lot of people out there who are, you know, just candidly middle of the pack or bottom performers in their organization, it's going to be a lot harder to find the next thing. And the trend will be to keep teams smaller. And I think the other part of this too is with the rise of automation and tooling and the sales tech stack, you're seeing people do more with less already. There's more things that can knock out parts of your prospecting flow. Uh, there's things that are going to save you time on a lot of other tasks and workflows. And so I think because of that, you're going to be able to have a more lean sales team, lean, lean SaaS sales team versus how things have been over the last 10 years, which has been rapid hiring, scaling really quickly, having these massive sales teams, especially at these unicorn and public companies. Uh, you know, case in point, a few years ago, I was part of a team that hired over 35 reps in the span of about six months. So I think things like that are going to go, you know, trends like that are going to go away and you're going to see a lot more lean teams and slow growth as the focus. So number two is I think that the SDR role in a SaaS company is going to wind down. Now, this one might be a little bit uh, on the hot take side uh, of my prediction list here, but, and I, I also don't think that SDRs are going to go extinct. And a lot of people are out there talking about that and you hear that online a lot. I don't think the SDR role is going to completely go away, but it's not going to be what it has been. In the last few years, especially, uh, you know, the last call it three years, you've seen roles where people are making over six figures as an SDR, nice base salaries. It's a great way to start a career, fast growth, lots of volume, all that stuff. And in for a while, there was this nice clear path from being an SDR to an AE or even to other roles inside of a tech company. But what I'm seeing and, and what I think the trend is going to be going forward is a couple different things. I think you're going to see a lot more of the SDR work get outsourced to a third party. So you're going to see a 
uh, like a consulting company or a staffing company who does SDR staffing and pipeline generation services come in and take on that role versus bringing those hires in-house. So you see a lot more of that, look at outsource to, to third parties. I think you'll see the SDR role continue to move towards the marketing department. That's already starting to happen, but I think that's going to accelerate even more. And if you're an SDR, you need to start thinking about, you know, is this something you want to do forever? Or do you want to go and close deals and be an account executive? Because I think the SDR role will, again, kind of lean closer to marketing and be more like a demand gen type role. And just like my first prediction, I think the SDR roles, the SDR teams are going to shrink. Gone are the days of seeing these teams of like 30, 40, 50 plus SDRs in a, in a room. You're going to have you know, a few really strategic and well-trained SDRs doing you know, most of the lift in terms of the pipeline. And I think going forward, more pipeline is going to come from other sources. So the, the outbound uh, model that, that the SDR role has been known for is going to uh, transition a little bit. It's going to change a bit in the coming months and years. So uh, that's prediction number two. SDR role will be sort of winding down, not right away, but over the next couple of years, I think you're going to see less and less growth in the SDR career path and more people transitioning into closing roles or moving out of the industry altogether. Number three is I think we're gonna see a huge spike in channel business. Now, this is something that people have talked about for years. And of course, almost every SaaS company has a partner program or a channel program for selling. But I think that it's going to become a predominant way of generating pipeline. And it's gonna be a bigger focus for most high growth SaaS companies in the coming years. Because the way that they're likely thinking about it is how do we partner with other companies that are doing essentially the same thing as we are solving some of the same problems, but maybe with a different flavor where we can go in and split a deal with a company. It makes the sales process shorter. It makes it easier. It adds more players to the game. It, it's pretty logical if you think about it. So, uh, and I've had a lot of success personally over the last few years working with channel partners, especially like systems integrators or service-based companies where I sell the SaaS piece and partner with someone who's going to go and do the implementation because then you're going to a large scale prospect and enterprise buyer and you're saying, not only are we providing the software, but we're going to also have this team over here implement it for you and add more value on top of the software. That's going to create this nice ecosystem where they're sticky on your product and there's accountability on the implementation side. So I've done quite a few of those deals and typically there's a rev share, like a revenue sharing aspect to that where each team gets some kind of split of that deal just based on what's sold, right? So I think that's going to, to, to spike up a lot. So if that's a career that might be of interest for a lot of people out there listening is being a channel sales uh, rep or a channel manager, I think that's going to see a big spike and you're going to see a lot more reps focusing on building their network in the channel and finding other, other vendors and other products out there that are similar enough where you can partner on certain deals uh, and a lot of times there's these referral partners also that can walk you into a prospect account or walk you into a brand because they've already got a relationship. They're already uh, working with them in some capacity and there's this value in bringing in your SaaS to, to get, you know, to get into the mix there and be part of the bigger strategy. So channels, uh, you know, channel sales, partner sales are going to spike up a lot in the coming years. That's going to be a huge opportunity, especially for anybody who's interested in that as a career path. I would look into it and look into companies that are doing this in an innovative way. So prediction number four is the comeback. I, I, I predict that there'll be a big comeback in Rolodexes, right? And I'm not saying Rolodexes ever really went away, 
But I know over the last couple of years, they've been de-emphasized. And of course, Rolodexes are having this big network of people who have worked with you or, or bought from you as a seller. And in you know the early part of my career, a lot of the, the top reps, the top enterprise reps had these Rolodexes. And that's, that was a big part of their job interview was talking through who they knew at which companies and which brands. And it's harder to do that now because people just don't stay at companies as long. You know, back in the early 2000s, you still had people staying uh, at a big box retailer, or a big brand for 10, 15, 20 years. You see that less and less unless you're talking about some of the big CPG firms or consulting firms. But for the most part, I do think that it's going to be really important for reps to have a Rolodex and a network, specifically in the category that they sell in. So if you sell to, to digital marketers right now, your network or Rolodex of digital marketer, uh, marketers is going to be a huge part of your ability to sell yourself into a new account executive role. If you sell to DevOps, start networking with your DevOps people that you've sold to and really build that as your you know, active network and audience. And uh, the word audience brings me to my next point. The reps that have an audience, whatever platform your buyers are on, whether that's Twitter, LinkedIn, uh, YouTube, and anything else out there, it's going to be really beneficial to have an audience on the platform where your buyers spend their time so that you can you know, prove your value there and showcase that you know who to reach out to when it's time to go sell, right? So I think you're going to see that a lot more, especially as economic times are tighter. Everybody's looking for new ways to bring in relationships. That isn't just the old school, I call it old school, the SDR model, the, the you know now I think dated SDR model of picking up the phone and making 100 phone calls and sending out a bunch of email blasts. So again, I don't think that's going away forever. I'm definitely not saying that cold calling is dead or that outbounding is dead, but I am saying that I think the the top SaaS companies are going to diversify a little bit and lean out a little bit in some areas and amp up other areas like channel and network and audience and some of those things. Prediction number five. This one's not fun. This one's not a fun one, um, but it is a harsh reality that I believe to be true that rep comp will actually go down for most everyone in the industry. And some of you are probably already seeing this as you're interviewing for roles. You're seeing that, you know, maybe a year ago or two years ago, a role went for X and now it's X minus $20,000 or X minus $10,000 uh, or more, right? So sadly, I think uh, rep comp, the days of really high rep comp, especially on the base salary side, are really going to change in the coming years. Back to my first point, companies are seeing that they can do more with less that they can focus on their highest performers, the top you know, 10 or 20% of their reps. And I do think that the asterisk on this one, the, the caveat is that I think the top strategic reps and enterprise reps, the ones with Rolodexes, the ones with a big network and an audience, those reps are still gonna command the top pay, right? They're still gonna have these massive base salaries. They're still gonna have a huge OTE and plenty of uncapped upside. But I think for the vast majority of sellers out there, you're going to see comp shrink a little bit. So whereas a few years ago, or even just in the last you know few months, you might find an enterprise or strategic AE that pays $300,000 OTE, you're going to see some of that shrink down a little bit, and you're going to see a little bit lower numbers. And I think, again, that just comes back to companies being leaner in some areas and feeling like they can do more with less. Now, I think the variable component might also change with most AEs. I think you're going to see a lot of companies offering these big uncapped commission checks, but things like base salary and other bonuses might shrink down a little bit uh, until the economy recovers, but I also think that's kind of here to stay. So uh, curious everyone's thoughts about that one, but uh, that's not my favorite prediction on this list, but it is one that I think is a, is a, is a reality. <laughs> Number six here, I have 
SaaS contracts are going to become a little bit more flexible. What does that mean? Well, uh, buyers are getting more savvy. Uh, with a new generation of decision makers coming into leadership roles, you're seeing more and more of, of the SaaS buyer persona, very skilled in technology and being able to evaluate tech pretty quickly. The market's also a lot more saturated. There is a lot of SaaS out there. And even if you don't have a lot of direct competitors in your category, there's a lot of other SaaS companies that might be competing with you, even if they're not direct competitors. Why? Because big companies have a lot of different competing priorities. And, uh, you know, even though you may not directly compete with a DevOps tool, the company may focus first on DevOps before they focus on your marketing tool, right? So there's just a lot of competition and saturation out there. And with more savvy buyers, what that means is the days of being able to sell like a three-year deal with upfront payments, net 30, no out clause, no trial built into it, no proof of concept, et cetera, et cetera. These, these, these terms that really benefited the seller and the SaaS company, I think are going to have to become a little bit more flexible because shoppers are just going to, and I say shoppers being SaaS buyers, are going to be able to go to your competitor and say, hey, they were too rigid. They wanted a three-year agreement. We just want to commit to two years. Uh, you know, they didn't want to give us an out clause. And if you'll give us an out clause, we'll do business with you instead. So I think these are things that are going to kill deals. Um, and yeah, literally the most savvy reps are still going to figure out a way to negotiate the best possible deal for themselves and for their companies. But I do think in general, SaaS companies and contracts are going to need to be, become a little bit more flexible so that they don't, uh, you know, eliminate the, these buyers. Or they don't uh, turn off these buyers to really, you know, rigid terms. So I think you're going to have a lot of buyers coming in and asking for things like a month to month payment plan, uh, you know, one year contract, a, an out clause. And then this actually ties into my number seven prediction, which is SaaS companies are going to have to continue to offer some kind of a trial proof of concept, or the focus will be more on product led growth. So how do you get your product into your buyer's hands as quickly as possible to be less about selling? You know, I think there'll still be a lot of value selling. Don't get me wrong, but I think the trend is going to be putting the product first and getting the product into the hands of your buyer right away allowing them to test it out and try it out and make sure it's the right fit. And then going in to, to prove the value and the business case and the other part, uh, you know, the other parts of your sales process, it's going to become the trend again, more savvy buyers makes for people who want to put their hands on a product before they buy it. And the vendors who are rigid on that and don't want to, to put together a trial or a proof of concept option are going to lose out on a lot of business that way. And it's the same for the vendors who are going to refuse things like, an out clause or uh, you know, a one-year contract versus a three-year contract. So some of those terms, again, come from more savvy buyers, but I think it's just the, the saturation of the market as well is kind of leading to some of these trends picking up. Number eight here is uh, finance is now going to be a key part of every deal. And this has happened before in the past, but I think this is going to become the trend. It's definitely the trend right now and I don't think it's going to go anywhere. Even after the economy recovers, you're still going to see CFOs, directors of finance, analysts, et cetera, looking over proposals, evaluating a demo session, looking into the kind of FP&A, the financial planning and analysis of purchasing a SaaS. Again, this has always been there, but there's been a few years where we had a good run where the CFO didn't really get involved and they trusted the you know, other leaders in the company to make the best judgment on purchasing tools. I think large companies uh, and even small companies 
have realized that it's pretty easy to get overtooled or have too many different SaaS products in your stack and end up spending a bunch of money on tools that don't even get deployed or don't even get utilized. So as a result, I think you're going to see a lot more CFOs um, or directors of finance or VPs of finance get involved in deal cycles. I think it'll become part of, a part of most sales processes where you know, you know, the standard sales process, you have like a discovery call and then you do a demo and then there's a proposal review and, you know, there's a lot of other steps. Sometimes it gets a lot more complicated than that, especially with, with enterprise deals. But I think in, in the future sales processes, uh, processes are going to focus on bringing in a CFO at a certain point and having a custom presentation built to showcase things like the ROI or the business case or the return to value. You know, how quickly are you going to be able to pay off this investment in SaaS? So, the reps who are really great at speaking to financial leaders, uh, again, CFOs, directors of finance, those are going to be the reps that that succeed and have the highest performance in this space is being able to, to showcase that ROI and really present on the value from a financial standpoint. Prediction number nine, most SaaS companies are going to move to a SaaS and services model. Now, a lot of them are already that way. But I think it's going to become a predominant trend where a SaaS subscription alone just won't be enough to add value to customers and to keep those customers sticky on the product. You're going to see a world where every SaaS company also has add-on services or even add-on SKUs or products on top of the SaaS subscription. So what's your, what some examples of that might be? Well, if you're a SaaS company that has a product for sellers, you might add you know some kind of sales coaching service on top. There might be uh, you know, a, a lead generation service that goes on top with it, right? So if you have a lead gen software, you might also go out and do a project where you clean up your customer's data for them in their CRM, something like that. So a services uh, line item and then other SKUs, right? So beyond just the software, are there extra add-ons? Are there integration capabilities that you can charge for? Is there usage you can charge for on top of a you know, monthly seat price? Is there, you know, monthly seat price is X and then X plus Y for how many, you know, how much data volume goes into the SaaS. So you're going to see a lot of add-on SKUs. This is a good thing, by the way, because as a seller, it's going to give you more of a suite of products to sell. This has already been done for a long time, but I think over the years, I've also seen a lot of SaaS companies just rely on the, the subscription SaaS part of their business and not focus on things like services or add-on SKUs or, or extras. I think that's going to become, uh, you know, a big part of selling. And the good news for, for reps out there is, if you get really good at understanding your employer's product suite, you'll be able to pitch an entire product suite to a customer that's going to add more value. And it's ultimately going to make your deal sizes bigger because you're adding, you know, a monthly SaaS or an annual SaaS on top of, you know, professional services hours and usage credits and some of those things. So again, this is already being done, but I just think that this is going to be completely, you know, almost every SaaS company is going to have some type of offer like this. And this will be the norm to sell a suite of products as opposed to just a SaaS license. Now, number 10 here, the last one is we're going to see a big rise in the number of bootstrapped SaaS companies. What does bootstrap mean? Bootstrapped is funded, self-funded, funded from a consulting business or a founder funding it out of their own pocket, maybe from the proceeds from a, a sale of another business or just out of their own savings versus what we've seen over the last decade is a heavy venture capital model where you had founders going and raising 10, 20, 30, $40 million from a VC or a private equity firm, infusing that into the business, growing really quickly, hiring, developing products really quickly. We're of course still gonna see that. VC is not going anywhere. High growth companies are not going anywhere. 
but I do think you're going to see significantly more bootstrap companies and founders in the coming years. And what does that mean for us as sellers? Well, back to my earlier point, I think that SaaS salaries, uh, you know, SaaS rep pay and, and comp is going to go down a little bit, especially at these bootstrap companies. Bootstrap companies, founders are not going to pay, you know, three, four, five hundred thousand dollars to hire a SaaS rep. They probably don't have that kind of money on hand to do that. They're going to operate really lean. The growth will be a little bit slower. Um, I would say a, a lot slower, actually. It's going to be a lot slower than how it has been. And the focus will be on profitability rather than just revenue growth. And so you're going to see, uh, you know, more opportunities to work for a company that has, uh, you know, self-funded bootstrap their own business. The upside to this is, from my experience, sometimes the VC fast growth, hyper growth culture can kind of create some unrealistic targets. It can create a certain culture of accountability, uh, which is a good thing, but it can also be, uh, it can also infuse toxicity into a business if you have a board of directors or uh, from the VC firm who have kind of taken over the process and they're the ones setting the targets and they're the ones dictating how the sales process gets done. So this will give a little bit more creative, uh, you know, creative freedom to the founders to build a SaaS model and sales model that, that works for them. So I think it's a good thing, but I do think that will impact OTE. Reps going to bootstrap companies will just not have the same type of compensation as, as they would at a VC backed company, but they might have a little bit more freedom to, to hit, you know, a more steady growth target versus a really aggressive quota. So there could be some pros and cons to it. I think it'll be up to every rep to decide what their tolerance is and, and if they prefer to be at a company that's hyper growth or if they want to be at a company that's focused on sustainable growth and profitability. And, uh, you know, they'll have to decide which one is culturally the best fit for them and which one would you know, will help them hit their financial goals best. Bootstrap companies, I think, will also hopefully deliver more ownership to their employees because the, the goal is profitability, uh, you know, perhaps. And they're, they're not as diluted, right? Raising money from, from venture capitalists. So uh, you might have more ownership in a company or profit sharing in a company that's focused on profitability. So that could be a pro of, of being in a bootstrap SaaS company. So that's it. That's my list of 10 prediction for, predictions for trends uh, in the next couple of years. Let me know what you think. Shoot me an email. Uh, hit me up on LinkedIn. Let me know if you disagree with any of these. And thanks for tuning in.